Thank you, Ron. Good to see Ron and Wendy back in service with us. Amen. God bless you. Love you guys. Why don't y'all sit down? You know, we stand for the reading of God's word around here. Amen. How many would rather be in here than the best ICU unit anywhere? Amen. Don't we have something to thank God for? To give him praise for? Amen. Now I'm trying to get my Bible to pull up. Amen. 1 Corinthians 12th chapter, verse 1, and then I want to go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Amen. Paul writing to the church at Corinth, real familiar verse. He just says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. He's talking to the church. I don't want you to be ignorant. I think it's noteworthy to point out that the word gifts in your King James, New King James Bibles, are, that word is italicized, and we know what that means, right? It means it's not in the original uh, writing, in original language, but it was added by the Bible translators to try to help us to maybe better understand uh, what's being said here. But it literally says now concerning spiritual. Brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. The Apostle Paul, all throughout his epistles, was constantly having that type of conversation with the church. And one of his favorite things that he said over 20 times was, do you not know? He said, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that if you, if you have Christ, you are one spirit with him? And he was always saying to the church, do you not know? Do you not know? And I believe that one of Satan, if not the most powerful weapon he uses against us is his attempt to keep us ignorant of the promises of God, of the blessing of God, and namely the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if he can keep the brethren, the Christians, ignorant of that, then, the, then you will spend time praying for things you already have. You'll be, and those prayers are never answered by God because he can't answer them. In other words, you'll spend time praying for the mind of Christ. Nobody ever prayed for that except us. The Apostle Paul said, we have the mind of Christ. So what should we do? Thank him for it. That's the only way you can be double-minded. You have a carnal mind, natural mind, uh, you know, and then educated mind, nothing wrong with that, but that mind is an enmity against God. It can't receive the things that be of the Spirit, Paul said. And so in Ephesians 1 and 1, he, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Valdosta and faithful in Christ Jesus. Is that what it says in your Bible? Sure it does. He says to the saints. Everybody say, I'm a saint. That's a revelation to a lot of the church because they have preachers who stand up and say you're a sinner saved by grace. And that they, they say that your primary identity is still a sinner. Salvation did nothing. You were a sinner before you saved. Now you're saved. You're still a sinner. You're just a saved sinner. That may all sound like humility, but it's actually blasphemous. It's actually error because that's not what the Bible teaches. There are no letters written by any apostle to the, to the sinners at Ephesus. 
to the sinners at Thessalonica, to the sinners at Corinth. That's not your identity. That was what you were born in. You were born in sin. But now you are saints of God. And, and, and as a man thinketh, is, it, that's so easy. It's important that you believe that. What do you hear natural people say? I grew up hearing this. People talking, they say well, to one to another, I'm not trying to be a saint or anything, but, and then they would finish their conversation. That's our problem. We're not trying to be what God's called us to be. Are you a saint because you always behave saintly? No. Are you a saint because you look like a saint? No. You're a saint because God says you are. And so what we do is we confess what God says we are, and we, we confess that. And by the power of the Spirit, we live out of that revelation. So to the saints who are in Valdosta, Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus, that means you've put your faith in Christ Jesus. So I want you to see two locations here, Valdosta and in Christ. You are at two places at the same time. Where is Jesus right now? Okay, that's true. Some of you pointed to here. That's a revelation to some because they think he's only up there. So Jesus is in two places at the same time. But now physically, literally, whatever, where is Jesus Christ right now? He is seated where? At the right hand of the Father. Now, Paul said that we are seated with him. Why is Christ seated? Is it because he's tired? Is it because his feet hurt? He is seated because he is a high priest. He is the high priest. One thing in the old covenant, go ahead and sit down. I know you're standing. You need to sit because your feet are tired. Listen, in the Levitical system, in the old covenant system, with the priest and the animal sacrifice and all that, one piece of furniture that they never had in the temple was a chair. Why? Because the Bible said they never sat down. They were continually offering the sacrifices as a reminder of sin, continually. But in this New Testament, New Covenant, once Christ offered himself once and for all, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, having accomplished what God had sent him to do. So now Paul said to the church, to the saints, we are seated with him in heavenly places. So your location is two places. You are in Christ, yet the Bible says Christ is in you. That's the hope of glory. But you are in Ephesus, they were in Ephesus, but we're in Valdosta, at least for this meeting. I don't live in Valdosta, but we're in Valdosta. But yet we're also in Christ. And it's important that you believe that because that's the truth. Uh, he says to them, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has, past tense, blessed us with how many? Every. Do you really think it means that? That's what it says. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Notice this all in Christ. 
It's all about in Christ. Now, I, I want to say this to you. I'm, I'm pausing there for a minute because, see, some of you maybe were raised, that are listening to me, whatever, you were raised like I was raised and happened to be. And I'm, and I'm not mad about that. I'm not angry about it. I'm thankful for my heritage. But nobody has been raised in a perfect environment, irregardless of what church background you may have come from. In fact, many of us now in these past few decades have had to unlearn many things that we were taught. And I don't mean people intentionally got up and taught because a lot of things that I preach now, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't preach that. I preached the opposite of that when I was first got in the ministry. But I just, you, you do what you do with what you have to do with. In other words, you, a lot of times if you're not careful, you hear somebody else preach and you, you just, you just echo that. You think, well, he said it. That's the way it is. I guess that's the way it is. But, but the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you all your Christian life into the truth. And your spirit is acquainted with the truth. Because the truth, the spirit of truth, that is the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. He didn't come and go. He didn't visit and leave. He's in you. And then once he's in you, he promised he would never leave you and he would never forsake you. Right? So if you were raised like me, you were told that, okay, you're saved, but now you need to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So they, there's so many words that are used for that. The second work, the second baptism. They would try to explain it like, well, and then you would see scriptures that clearly says that if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit. And you can't be born again without the Holy Spirit, and you can't be born again and not have the Holy Spirit. So how can you come and get the Holy Spirit if you've already got him? And why do you need to get him if you've already got him? Now I know, you know, this will fly into, a face, uh, into the face of what a lot of people still teach today. And I was raised on that. And so people would come down and we would lay hands on them for them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what they would say, kind of explain it, and, and, and there's some great men that's lived and died, and this is how they would explain it. And so once they heard one person say it that way, then you'd hear preachers echo that. And they'd say, well, the difference in, you know, that you, you have the Holy Spirit is like, you know, they would hold up and they would say, you, you have this bottle of water, but you're not full of water. Well, there's no Bible for that. That's just something somebody made up to try to explain something that's not in the Bible. Now, either, either Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 is true or it's not. And that's what you have to decide. If God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, if, if, if it's a past tense thing, let me ask you this. Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit a spiritual blessing? Is it a spiritual blessing? Okay, I just read to you out of the Bible that says you already have it. Now, this will take a lot of pressure off of you here. But let me tell you something. You may think this is, you know, just, I'm just whatever. I, I've been pastoring now for over 26 years. I've been preaching for over 30 years. And numerous times in that career of ministry, I have counseled with numerous people who were suicidal over not getting the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And by that, I mean that they didn't speak with tongues and they felt like that 
God didn't give it to them. They couldn't get it there. I, I, I was raised around people that would tarry for the Spirit. Wait. You know what that word means? It's a Bible word. Wait on the baptism. Or they would seek the baptism. They would fast and pray to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so if God has withheld anything, so in other words, like if the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's just say that this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, okay? This box of tissue. So, God, you got saved. You're his kid. He withheld this from you. Which that in itself flies in the face of numerous New Testament scriptures. The Bible says you lack nothing. The Bible says in Colossians you are complete in him. That's why one of the chapters in my book, I wrote The Myth of More. And I was raised on that. And, 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 the, and, and more, in other words, I was raised on a basic theology that said, even though you're saved, you're still dirty, you're away from God, and if you really work at it, maybe you can be clean and be close to God. And we were taught you need to get close to the Lord. You can't get close to God. If you read in Ephesians, the Bible said, the Apostle Paul said, but this is your position and mine when we were lost. You were outside the commonwealth of Israel. You were outside the blessings of God. You were lost without God in this world. If anybody knows stuff I'm saying is in the Bible, if you just grunt an amen, it would help people that think I'm making this stuff up. That's the position that we were all in. But it said, and you were, you were far from God. Comma, but... Now, you have been made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. So what is it that brought you close to God? Was it your prayer life? Was it your seeking? Was it your effort? Was it your straining and trying to get close? No, it's the blood of Jesus that brought you close. So if the blood brought you nigh to God, what is the, what is the power that's more powerful than that that can bring you unnigh to God? If sin can take you away from God once you've been brought nigh to God, then we should worship sin because it's more powerful than the blood of Jesus. If the work of the first Adam can outdo the work of the last Adam, we worship in the wrong Adam. Good morning. We're glad you're here. God didn't withhold anything. Okay, well, why, why is it in the Bible? See, if when, you, when you go, and I know, boy, this really, can you imagine preaching this at a Pentecostal charismatic conference? Let's go down like a rat sandwich, right? Uh, and, and I even know some great grace preachers that, that, that really, and when I say grace, I'm talking about people that, that really put their confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I, I want to tell you something. The only thing today that we are lacking is the knowledge of the finished work of Jesus Christ in the church. That's the only thing we're lacking. God, from God's perspective and God's end, God has withheld no good thing from, from us. So if, if God, with, in other words, if God gave you everything but the baptism, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that means that that, that verse is not true because it's a spiritual blessing and God withheld it. And he's waiting on you now to pray enough, to do enough, to be righteous enough, to make yourself holy enough, or to just see some real intent that you want it, and then he reaches out and gives it to you. See, my understanding when I was raised in church was that the book of Acts chapter 2, the, the, you know, the, the coming of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, 
was something that they had prayed, begged, and pleaded God for for 10 days. And it's just, so, and, and they were in the upper room for 10, 10 days. And we know that because when Jesus ascended back to heaven, he had been on earth post-resurrection for 40 days and 40 nights, right? And he led them out to the Mount of Olives, and from there he was caught up into the clouds and, 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 and went back to heaven, so to speak. Are you with me? Am I saying the truth? All right, now before he left, he told them to go, don't leave Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. He told them to go there and tarry. That's where some of these people come up with their tarry doctrine. He told them to go and tarry until they were endued with power. And uh, I better put this back. I'm getting in trouble. So uh, he told them to go tarry until they were endued with power. And, and, and we, were kind, we were taught this. That, in other words, they went back and they fasted and prayed for 10 days. In other words, after, after enough 10 days, you know, that God saw they were sincere and serious, then he sent the Holy Spirit to them. And so we were taught to go after it like that as well. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Look in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Now, they've been, they've been in the upper room for 10 days. And when I teach you guys about the feast, and we'll do that again when we get to the fall feast here, or at least one Sunday, because it's important for you to understand the feast of the Lord, the appointed times we mean. We don't mean eating turkey feast. But the word Pentecost, for most of you, what does that mean? Fifty. So when you say I'm Pentecostal, you're saying I'm fifty-ish. That's what, that's what the word literally means 50. There is one of the major feasts of the Lord is called the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. Now that one occurs at about June, you know, June, July on our calendar, or actually May, June on our calendar. Um, but so in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, look what it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. It doesn't say when they'd prayed and fasted enough. When the day of Pentecost, they could have been in there playing dominoes. They couldn't have been in there playing cards, playing go fish. And they would have all received the Holy Spirit. Because they were where God told them to be. And what were they waiting on? They were waiting on one thing that was for the calendar to change. And when the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Now, the, the reason the, the Holy Spirit up to this point had not yet come, and so the Holy Spirit would come upon people in the Old Covenant, like the Holy Spirit would come upon Samson, and he would pick up a jawbone and defeat, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, hundreds under supernatural power. The Holy Spirit would come upon King David when he was a, even a young boy going after Goliath. The Holy Spirit come upon him and would empower him, but the Holy Spirit never entered into them. Why? Because they were not saved. They were not born again. That's why Jesus said, it's to your advantage as I go away because something awesome is going to happen. The Holy Spirit's not only going to be with you, it's going to be in you. It's a new covenant. It's a better covenant that contains better promises. 
And so the, the Bible, in John chapter 7, Jesus makes an amazing statement. He's actually saying this at, at the Feast of Tabernacles. And in verse 37 of John chapter 7, that's why it says on the last day, the great day of the feast. In other words, at the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Notice that a drink becomes a river. A drink becomes a river. And then he says, but this spake he concerning the what? The spirit. Whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, one of the primary missions of the Holy Spirit is to see that we are conformed unto the image of Christ Jesus. Is that right? Romans 8, 29, in case you need to know where it's at. So, so the Holy Spirit, think of it like this. I'm trying to explain. Think of it like this. If, if you commissioned an artist to paint your portrait, before you come for that sitting to be, and, and so the artist is going to look at you, and then he's going to paint your portrait, right? So you probably would do your hair, right? You would comb your hair. If you're a lady, you'd probably do your hair. Well, I don't know what the difference is. You, you know, if you're a lady, you'd have on, you know, you, you'd fix yourself, you know, and do all of your stuff. i got to be careful here. And, and, and the artist would look at you, and then he would go to the canvas. Right? Now, the Bible says that, that this spake he of the Spirit, for the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. Because why? Because Jesus Christ had not yet been glorified. If you can get this, what, what I'm trying to say to you, that God did not and could not and would not send the Holy Spirit until after the resurrection of Jesus because the image that the Holy Spirit is using to conform us in is not the Jesus that was beat, bruised, broken, that's not the Jesus that you're being patterned after. The Jesus that we're being conformed to is the resurrected Jesus. It's the resurrected Christ. It's the glorified Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit's tool. In other words, so the Holy Spirit is looking at the glorified, resurrected, sitting at the right hand of the Father. <laughs> if you really want to, I don't have time to go there, but if you really want to blow your mind, that, that apostle that wrote the book of Revelation was, was John. And he got a revelation of Jesus Christ, and he wrote about it in, in the book of Revelation. It's not the book of Revelations. It's not the revelation of the Antichrist. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and so John says, I heard a voice behind me, and I turned to see this voice, and he saw Jesus. And he said his hair was white as wool. And he said his eyes was like flames of fire. And he says when he spoke, it sounded like thunder. And I said, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And so he describes Jesus, what he saw. That's the Jesus that the Holy Spirit's conforming you to. That's the Jesus that is glorified, seated at the right hand of the Father. And so the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Paul said, don't, you know, the Bible says, uh, don't you understand that your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit and, and, and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 says, But you are not in the flesh, Paul says, but you're in the spirit. 
And if indeed, he said, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, this is the Spirit of God, interchangeable word, he's not his. In other words, you cannot, you're not born again without the Holy Spirit. And there is absolutely no hint in the Bible that you got a portion, you were, you were portioned out the Holy Spirit. Kids don't receive a kid Holy Spirit. You don't have some of the Holy Spirit. You either have the Holy Spirit or you don't have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you have all of the Holy Spirit. You didn't get a half of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 and 8, but you shall receive power. When? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When will the Holy Spirit come upon you? When you're born again. Uh, Acts 1 and 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be, what, baptized, that means immersed, with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And, of course, I, I just read where that occurred in Acts chapter 2. And so, 1 Corinthians 6 and 17, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now, how can you get closer to God to being one with him? You, waste, you can waste all your Christian life pursuing God for things you already possess. And the only reason you pray for it is because the enemy has succeeded through whatever to keep you ignorant. And I'm saying, I'm, you're looking at the poster child for that for a long time. I have fasted and prayed for the mind of Christ. I didn't know how easy God made it. I already had it. When did you get it? When you got born again as part of the equipment. It's like the steering wheel. It came with the car. You don't have to ask the guy, you know, can I get a steering wheel with this car? I mean, it comes with it, okay? But if you don't know it comes with it, you can spend time praying for one. And God will never answer that prayer because you already have it. All you need to do is come into the revelation and the realization of what Christ accomplished and, and provided for you on the cross. And, and so you, you got to understand that in this world, it, it, it is possible, and a lot of people have done this, have made Christianity just another religion. How? Well, listen, every religion, regardless of what it is, in this world has a founder, a teacher, uh, and some teachings. And when people get in that religion, they look back on that teacher and they seek to imitate and obey his teachings, right? That's, that's not the way it is with us. The resurrection, and we have the only religion, if you want to call it that, I hate that word, but the, we have the only religion, so to speak, that not, it's not like that at all. See, the resurrection means that we carry our teacher. We carry him on the inside of us. It's hard to explain to other folks in other religions. We're not looking back on some Buddha. Or something. We're not looking back and trying to imitate what they talk. He, he lives in me. <laughs> His life is in me. His life flows out of me. And the more I learn to yield to, to the spirit and not to the flesh, the more of that I'll display to you. The Bible says in, 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 uh, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Colossians 2 and 6, listen to this. He says, as you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So how did you receive Jesus? By faith. 
How do you walk every day of your life? By the same faith. Paul said, why don't you just live your life like the way you did when you received Christ? And then he describes that in verse 7. Rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Now he says you've got to be careful now because this is what religion is going to do to you. Beware lest anyone cheat you. And how they're going to do it is through philosophy and empty deceit. And it's going to be according not to the Bible, but to the traditions of men. Churches are filled with traditions of men. Now, they're not all evil, and we're not after the word tradition. But anytime there's a tradition that tries to exalt itself to doctrine level and to nullify the word of God, Jesus says that's what causes the word to be powerless in your life. Not according to Christ, he says. Don't let anybody cheat you with philosophy, empty deceit, traditions of men, according to the basic principles of this world and not according to Christ. For in him, everybody say, I'm in him. For in him dwells how much? All the what? Fullness of the Godhead bodily. And verse 10, and you are, you are complete where? who is the head of all principality and power. If you are complete in him, what are you seeking for? If you have the fullness of God, what are you seeking him for? Now, this is not a message to make you lazy and just fold your arms and wait for the rapture. This is to awaken you to the completed, finished work of Jesus Christ and to the gift of God that has been deposited in your spirit. Let's imagine this. You entered the, uh, what's that sweepstakes where they come with the giant check? What is it? Yeah, I couldn't think of it. Publisher's Clearinghouse. Let's just say one day you got a piece of that mail come to your box and you just decided, heck, I'm in such bad shape, I'm just going to fill this out and stick it in the back box. And then after that, you're such in a bad financial strait that you have to move because you can't pay your rent at that place anymore, so you have to find a cheaper place. And, and you're, just, you're, you're just not doing well at all. You don't have a job. And even the new place you've moved to now, you're, you need to get out of it because you can't afford it. You've not eaten a good meal in weeks. You're just not, life is, is tough. And you don't feel great. And it's probably proper to say you're depressed. And it's just not going well. And a knock comes at the door and you go to the door, expecting it might even be somebody to collect a bill. And you see them standing there with balloons, roses, and a huge check, giant check. By the way, which you can't take to the bank in cash. It's for symbolism only. But you have this huge check. And they tell you, we have been searching for you for weeks. We went to your old place. You were not there. And we've been trying to track you down. And we finally found out that you reside here now. And we wanted to announce to you that you have won the publisher's house sweepstakes. And now you're going to get whatever. I don't know what it is. You know, millions of dollars. And you're going to get a $5,000 check every week here on the rest of your life. <laughs> Listen, even though... And you actually won that weeks ago, but they just couldn't find you. So therefore, you were ignorant of that. 
And even though you still hadn't eaten a meal and you still hadn't paid a bill, but your attitude immediately changes. And you walk out of that house with your cardboard fake check that represents a real check. But let's just say that you're probably not in depression any longer. And even though your belly may be growling, you're just looking for some place to go eat. And you're like, show me the money. Listen, what happened there? It was in your account, so to speak, but it wasn't in your hand. Now, what we are ignorant of in the church is we are ignorant of spiritual gifts, brethren. We, we don't know what's been placed in our account. All we can see is what we don't have in our hand. In other words, what we're not manifesting. And the reason we're not manifesting it is because we are ignorant of the fact that it's been gifted to us. So this saves a lot of time. You don't have to pray to get close to God. You just thank God that you've been made nigh by the blood of Jesus. Now, hey, listen, I get it. I get it. You don't feel close to God. Don't you feel closer to God when you're worshiping and praising me that's going on in the background or you're reading your Bible? You feel closer to God. But, you're, but you see, you don't move like this. You're not moving in and out of relationship with God. Right? So you're always close to God. How close to God are you? You're in Christ. How much closer? What about when I sin? You're still same location. God doesn't go, oh, my God, they sin. God doesn't sit in a swivel chair. He's always with you. He's always for you. He don't want you to sin. He's not for it. Don't do it. It brings pain and hurt, but he loves you the same. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. That is the gospel. That is the truth. While you were yet a sinner, he loved you so much that he demonstrated his love by dying for you on the cross. He loves you. Settle the issue. He loves you. And, and he loved you before you were ever born again. And after you're born again and reading your Bible every day and saying your prayers at night, he doesn't love you more. See, our minds cannot compute that because we have been raised in a humanistic system to think otherwise. You do better, we like you better. You do less, we love you less. You do really bad, we fire you, but whatever. Nobody's ever hired you on your job saying, you know, this is a company of grace and we're going to pay you whether you do a good job or not. We love you. We're going to bless you. We're glad to have you. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. That's not how the world works. Nor am I saying it should. But the world is not the kingdom, and the kingdom is not the world. So what happens, and what happened to a lot of us that grew up and were taught that? Or, and, and we were taught that, and I was taught that dogmatically, and I believed with everything, and I, and I got born again, and I thought I was without the Holy Spirit. They never even in my church ever even told us that we had any of the Holy Spirit. We just skipped over all those verses. And we, it was never addressed. And so then we came, and we would get in a prayer line, or we would seek and pray and, and for the Holy Spirit, and then somebody would lay their hands on us and try to give it to us. Or, the, you know, God would give it to us through them and whatever. We'd get the Holy Spirit. All I'm, the, the, the target, if you haven't figured that out yet, that I'm after today is that as a born-again believer, you lack nothing. That's the honest God, honest the Bible truth. You lack nothing, and God has not withheld anything, even the Holy Spirit, from you. Now, if you don't know you have it, you're not availing yourself of it, of the fullness. 
but you don't have the halfness of God. You have the fullness of God. When, when, see, see, that's the sale, see, listen, that's the sales pitch of religion. You need more. More, Lord. More of you. Man, that's the theme song of a lot of churches. We just need more of the Lord, brother. No, you don't need more of the Lord. You need, to, you need a revelation of the, of the more that you've been given. But, but God, listen, God cannot give you any more of himself than he's already given you. He has given you his fullness. He gave you Christ who is the fullness of God, not the halfness, not the smidgen, not the little bit just to get you by. This ain't brill cream. Y'all too young to know even what that means. <laughs> he's given you the fullness of God. You may not understand it. You may not, not know it. See, I've had people that were born again. In, in their theology and the surroundings that they were around, they didn't have any paradigm for healing. They didn't believe in a God that healed people today. So then they got around folk like me or somebody that believed them and showed them in the word of God that by his stripes you were healed and that healing is for today. And guess what? Then all of a sudden then they became a believer and they received their healing. But when did God heal them? 2,000 years ago by his stripes. You were, not will be. Most people say, all right, Brother Dale, I'm looking forward to the day the Lord heals me. I say, you're looking in the wrong direction. Your healing's back here. Your healing is in the cross. So you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. Do you, you understand that Jesus paid for all your sin before you were born? <laughs> I don't believe in that future forgiveness where we all lost. Let's just go to the house. We all, we lost. Because all our sins that we've ever committed were future. When Jesus hung on the cross, you better pray to God he believe, you believe in future forgiveness. Because <laughs> all our sins were in the future. But Jesus Christ did his work outside of time. See, when the Bible said God is the same, this is how Christians see it most. I don't mean it's offensive, I'm just telling you. They read that verse where Paul said, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's how they see it. You know what I just did? A chronological time chart. But this is what the Bible says. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> That's what it means. See, with God, God stands in eternity. God, God doesn't live in time. God sees everything simultaneously. Well, that, that hurts my head. I'm so glad. Find the scriptures and the promises that hurt your head. Those are the best ones. You, 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 you want one to really hurt your head? I don't know if I put this one down. Uh, yeah, this one will hurt your head. Okay, 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Remember that same apostle that I said saw him in, head, you know, in the ground? Here, this is what he wrote. He said, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because, look what he says. Now, this right here should just, see, some, some things are so great in the Bible that we just go read over it because we can't even begin to comprehend it. He says, because as capital H-E, he, Jesus, as he is, so are we in this world. See, he didn't say as he is, we'll be one day when, in heaven over yonder in the glory land by and by after a while when we see mom and them. 
I was raised up. Everything that was good was going to be after we died. Won't it be wonderful there? <laughs> Some glad morning. You know, everything was future. And I'm not saying those songs were evil, but we had nothing for the present other than hang on, Snoopy, hang on. Like, man, God was great back in the Bible days, and it's going to be awesome in the future, but right now we ain't got much to offer you. <laughs> the Bible says, the apostle wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he, Jesus, is, so are you in this world right now. So you are as clean before God as you'll ever be. You are as holy as you'll ever be. You are as righteous as you'll ever be. You are full of the Holy Spirit, if you are his. If you've been born again, you have been given the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you. Christ is in you, and God then therefore put you in Christ so he could treat you like Christ. Welcome to church. You talking about a wake-up call for America? This is the wake-up call America needs. To realize, finally, what Jesus accomplished on the cross. I'm a little bit aggravated because of religion and all it kept from me. I spent years seeking God for what I already possessed. I tried my hardest to get close to God, but I never felt I had accomplished it. That was always busy work for me to do. I felt like that reading my Bible and praying, and I would feel better. Why would I feel better if I would go? There was a season, my wife would know this is true, there was a season I would go. I actually built a cabin for prayer where we used to live, down on a creek. And it was called the prayer cabin. Everybody knew it as that. My whole church knew it as that. I would allow preachers in my network to come. And I only ever spent one night there in my whole, the whole uh, you know, the years we lived out there on that property. But I had pastors and preachers and evangelists that would spend many weeks there. And that was part of the reason I built it. So they would have a place to come or retreat if you want to call it or whatever, you know, whatever your deal is. I'd have some ministers that would come preach for me uh, when I pastored Cornerstone. And they would, want, they would heard about it. They wanted to stay out there rather than to Hampton or something, you know. And then I had some that would be terrified of critters. So they didn't want to stay out there. <laughs> they were city guys, you know. But, but I would pray, I would go down and I, I would get up. I, I won't, how many years I went, I would set my alarm clock for, for 5.30 a.m. And where we, we lived in a, uh, one time we lived in a little apartment when we were first married. And I would, my, our church was literally a half a mile from where I lived. And I would get up and I worked a full, I was a, the chief of emergency medical service in Tifton. And so I would get up before work, set my alarm clock for 5.30. I would immediately get out of bed and go straight to the church and, and go in and, and pray. And, and pray for several hours. And I would leave in order to drive and be on my job at 8, 8.30. And I felt so good about doing that because it hurt so hard for me to get up that early. So I knew if it hurt that hard, God had to like it more. The more pain I could inflict on me, then I knew that it had to be really, you know, I was getting a lot of points. That's really... The, the, sick, the sickness of religion. God don't care if you're praying at 5.30 in the morning or 5.30 in the afternoon, just as long as you're walking in communion with him. 
But see, I read books that talked about people praying and, and literally uh, EM bounds and, and, and wearing out two holes in the floor with their knees. And I wanted to be the guy that wore out the floor with my knees. And I would try to do all these things. And when I would do good in those things, I felt God loved me more. When I would not do good, I felt like God was, didn't like me very much. All that's just the lies of religion. You can't be in a better position with God than being his son. And I don't mean that any of those things that I've said to make you lazy. No. The Bible is filled in the epistles with now display the good works of the Lord. When men see your good works, they will, they will give God praise for Christ in you. And so it just empowers you to do those things. But I guess my thing, what I'm trying to get you to see is that, that a lot of you have been raised on this. And I've seen people so upset and, and say, well, do I have to speak in tongues? You don't have to, but you get to. But if you don't want to, you still just say, do you, do you understand that I was raised that if you didn't speak in tongues and the rapture came, you'd be left. That was preached and taught in my church. That if you didn't speak in tongues, when the rapture came, you would, you'd have to be beheaded. You're still a Christian, but you wasn't first-class Christian. You were second-class Christian. And we had all these classes of Christian. Nobody ever said those words. Of course not. But, you, the, 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 you know, it was there. Are you spirit-filled? I remember I would, I, we, we did evangelism explosion. I would, I led teams out to go out in our community and witness to people. And, and I would care people with me sometimes. I remember I, I had this guy one time. We knocked on the door. We'd ask them two questions, you know. You know, if you died today, do you know you can go to me? You know, all that stuff. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But we would, we would do that. And then I, I remember this guy, I had this guy one day. Every, every house we went to, he would say, are you baptized in the Holy Ghost? You speaking in tongues? And the people ain't even, we just trying to talk to them. I finally had to take him back to church and drop him off because I was coming unsaved riding with him. But people get this stuff in their head. If you're born of the Spirit, you have the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. Now, what about laying of hands on? Why do you see that in the New Testament? See, the problem comes if you go to the book of Acts and try to, and try to smorgasbord and pick you out versus like Every one of these places in Acts, you'll see it's always dealing with people that are not saved. And they get saved and they speak in tongues and some don't speak. Not all of them speak in tongues every time. The issue is not speaking in tongues. The issue is for you to realize you're full of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 8, the Samaritans were getting born again. I don't have time to go to all these places, but in Acts 8, it says they were baptized, they were, they were, uh, had been baptized, they're talking about in water under the name of Jesus. But when the apostles got there, they were such racial uh, animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews that the apostles, in other words, so the Samaritans went through the ceremonial thing. Oh, this is another religion. Oh, and they've done it. Do you understand that you can get in that baptistry and you can go through the motion and you can come down front and you can shake a hand, say a prayer, and get dunked in the water, but that don't mean you got born again. No, that's not how you get born again. You don't get born again by saying a prayer. You don't get born again by getting immersed in water. You don't get born again by shaking any preacher's hand. You get born again by putting your faith in Jesus. So the apostles went down there and got that deal straight and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit because they received Christ for real. In Acts 10, 
this great Jewish apostle. Peter goes down to Cornelius' house, this Italian Gentile guy. And, and the biggest thing you see in Acts is God's trying to convince the Jews that it's okay, Gentiles are getting saved too. And he goes down there to, and he, he walks in the Gentile's house and he says, you know I'm not supposed to be in here. Is it unlawful for me for any Jew to be inside of a Gentile's home? And then he says, for what purpose have y'all sent me? And then Cornelius tells him about the vision he had. I had a vision. And he told me to send for you. And then Paul, and then, what was the vision that God gave Peter? He's, on, he's asleep. He's on the roof. Remember the four corner sheet with all the manner of beasts and animals there? Clean and unclean. It ain't got a thing to do with you eating shrimp. He's talking about men. And he told him three times, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Peter said, I'll not kill and eat because I'm a Jew and I, we don't, I don't eat anything unclean. God said, don't you dare call unclean what I've cleansed. And what he was talking about is these Gentiles that y'all won't have nothing to do with, that you think's all going to hell in a handbasket. I'm telling you, go down to that house, to Cornelius' house. And when he was there, he, Peter said, finally, he got it. Oh, man, he said, I perceive that God has no respect of person but loves all men. And all men are able to come in to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while and the Bible says this, I love this, while he was yet speaking, it's like God said, man, that's enough. And he did, this Bible says the Holy Spirit fell upon them. That's the only second time in the whole New Testament that that word in Greek is used and translated into an English word. The first time it was in the parable of the prodigal son when the father saw his son coming and he ran to him and he fell upon his neck and kissed him. And the Holy Spirit, when Peter was preaching to these Gentiles, he fell upon them and he kissed them with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in tongues and magnify and glorify God. And the Jews that were there with Peter, because he wasn't by himself. He had a Jewish entourage with him. The Jews that were there, they said to one another, we see now that the Gentiles have received the Holy Spirit just as we received in Acts 2, just as, we, as he came upon us. And that was the witness. And Peter said, could I forbid water? Can I stop water? that these should not be baptized. And then he has to go back to the council at Jerusalem and explain to the rest of those Jewish guys, listen, man, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> God did it. God did it. Man, I've seen God do stuff like that. I remember I went to, to a, a, I was in a Pentecostal church, and I'll end with this. I went to this Pentecostal church that I'd gone to every year. And, and, and I, listen, and so I was there, and I was there to preach and whatever, so <clears throat> they said, uh, they did tradition, you know, they did choir night, had a lady sing a special, young, younger woman, I'd say, you know, probably mid-30s uh, or something, early 30s, and, and uh, so she got up and, and, and sang. And, uh, um, no, no, I'm thinking about, so I was in this Pentecostal church, let me get it, let me get it right. She did sing, but I'm, I'm getting my singing ahead. So I, I got up to preach in this Pentecostal church, and I opened my Bible, and I, and I never uh, had done this. It's just what my, so I opened my Bible, and I was going to read my text and do like I've done today, just start preaching. And I looked out, and on my right side, sitting on the end of a pew, was a lady that just, God just drew me to her. And I heard the Lord say, pray for her now. And so, uh, you know, and, and God speaks so, you know, let, you know, infrequently that when he does speak, you need to do it. He, God's not a jabber jaw, I'll tell you that. So I just said, ma'am, uh, would, you know, I pointed at her and I said, and she was sitting by herself. She hadn't had anybody with her. I said, do you mind if I pray for you? 
And she said, okay. And so she seemed like a real shy young lady. And so she came down front. I stepped down. Now, I purposely, I mean no offense by this, I didn't call for the saints to come help me pray because I knew this church well. I preached there every year, and they had what I called a bulldog squad. And if I called for them prayer warriors, they'd come around, they'd be shaking on that woman. You know what I'm saying? They'd be doing all that to her, and I just didn't want to put her through that. So I just stepped down by myself, and, and, and so when I stepped down, and you, you believe it's not, but when I stepped down in front of her, this is how God most of the time deals with me. When I stepped in front of her, I heard one word, infirmity. And I said, ma'am, I believe the Lord says you have an infirmity. I didn't ask her what it was because I was afraid she'd tell me she didn't have one. <laughs> you know, I'm just being honest. I just, I'm standing there in faith. I heard infirmity. I said, ma'am, Lord, I believe the Lord shares with me you have an infirmity, and I just want to believe God for your healing. And I laid my hands on her, and I prayed the prayer of faith and, and, and sent her back to her seat. She didn't fall down. She didn't do nothing. She had no visible sign, and I, and I didn't feel a thing. I, not one goosebump did I get, and she didn't seem to get one either. And that don't win you a lot of points in a Pentecostal church, by the way. And she went back to her seat, and she sat down. Two weeks later, I got a call from a Methodist pastor. He introduced himself to me over the phone, called me one evening. He said, Brother Young, I would like for you to come to my church and run us a revival if you would consider doing that. And I'm thinking, I don't know you, and Methodists don't normally call me. And, um, but I, I said in my heart, I said, Lord, should I go? And I felt God said, go. So I said, I scheduled it out, and, and so I said, I'll be there. Start on Sunday night, and we'll go through Friday night. You know, back when they used to do that kind of stuff in the world. Remember that? And so uh, this is, anyway, I, I, and you might believe in all this stuff, but I went to this church, and, uh, and so I go, I go in, and, and I didn't even have a clue who the pastor was. I knew his name, but I never made it. I had no clue. And so I, I just went in, I took my seat on the front pew, and a, and a guy come over, and he said, I'm, I'm Pastor so-and-so, and he introduced himself to me. Your brother, we're glad to have you, man. You know, thank you for coming, whatever. And so, uh, glory to God. And so they do their traditional singing there. And, uh, and then a lady got up to sing special. This is where I got messed up on my story. So she got up to sing. And I thought when she got to the piano that she looked very familiar to me. But, you know, you see a lot of people you don't know. So she went to the piano and she said, before I sing tonight, I want to give a word of testimony. And uh, she said, uh, as y'all know, she said, I was in a revival a few weeks ago where Brother Young was preaching. And he called me out and prayed for me. And y'all know that I had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And I was going in the next day for surgery. And I just decided I would go to that revival I heard was going on over at so-and-so church. And I went. And he called me out and laid hands on me. And I went on to the hospital the next day to do for the surgery. But there was nothing for them to do surgery on. I was totally healed by the power of God. And, and then I'm like, that's why you look familiar to me. And can I tell you that the faith level in that church, in that Methodist church, was off the chart. It was like I had been given carte blanche. I could just move in God. You do understand God don't care what your name of your church is. And, and, and I got up that night and preached. And, and in this Methodist church, all week we saw miracles. We, we, we seen the power of God move. My wife attended many of those meetings. And in fact, on, on Wednesday of that week, I was, went up to minister. And, and I, as I got up to minister, I felt the Lord said to pray for the pastor. Before, you know, before you even just pray for him. 
So I called the pastor up, and I said, I believe God wants me to pray for you, brother. And, I, and, and so I, I laid hands on him, and I, I, this is the truth, man. God knows what I'm saying. And I laid hands on him, and I was just going to lay hands like I do. And I laid hands on him. He went down like he shot him with a gun. We didn't even have a catcher in place. You know what I'm saying? We, we didn't have time. We didn't have nobody to chunk a handkerchief over him or nothing. You know what I'm saying? We, he just, boom, he hit the floor. And I was like, I was almost, and when he hit the floor, when his back hit the floor, he was real loud speaking in tongues. I didn't know that God allowed that in Methodist churches. And he was speaking in tongues real loud. I knew I was in trouble. Probably. God was moving. That guy laid there a while, and and I didn't do anything else because he's the head guy. In a little bit, he gets up and he says, "I, you know, he reached for the mic. He said, I want to say something.' I'm like, you, you mean he's a pastor?" <laughs> so I give him the mic. He turns to his church. This is what he said to him. He said, "Church, he said, what y'all don't know is that I've been having a lot of problems lately, health wise, and uh, he said that." The doctor has told me that I had to give up my, he worked full-time. He said, I had to give up my full-time job or either give up this pastorate. And, uh, and he said, I, I have really been struggling. And, and, he, uh, and he said, I wanted to, to ask y'all to forgive me. He said, because I have not done with the healing message what I should have done with it here. And I haven't been true to what I believed in my heart. He said, God sent Brother Young this week, and, and we've seen miracles, we've seen healings. And see, I realized then why I was in this Methodist church, because that their member, their little lady, who was a member of that family, was sick with cancer. And see, when you get in positions like that, your faith will put you outside your comfort zone. And a lot of times God will meet you there. Because faith is something internal, but it is displayed externally. And, and so her just in faith going there, I had no idea that night when I prayed for her what was wrong with her. I had no idea whether she was one of those people there at that church. I, mean, I had no way of knowing nothing. And so when she went back to her church and said, I'm healed, then that pastor called me because he didn't care what my name was or what my theological bend was. He just knew God healed her. That, that's the fact. And we want that guy to come here. And the fact that they all knew that before I got there, had that church's level of faith at such a high level that it was just, it was easy to obey God there because, see, that's what makes the difference. That's why people go to like a, some of these guys' meetings and get healed because their faith is in action. It's not that God, well, I, I decided to do it tonight. No, God's, all, God's done it. But their faith reaches up and appropriates what grace has freely provided for them through the cross. And, 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 and so, man, we've seen awesome things that week. The power of God. And I want to tell you something, and I don't, I don't have time to go, you know, go down this other road here, but when you understand this principle that the Bible teaches that the spirit of the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, if there was a guy came today and gave testimony about drug use and abuse and, you know, just done prison time whatever and he gave that testimony which I'm not demeaning that or making light of it but you would expect in that environment that if there was somebody here that had you know was lost without God you, our hope would be they would get saved after hearing about the testimony of Jesus and how they brought salvation in that man's life right 
In other words, you, the guy gave a testimony, and you'd expect God to duplicate that again. See, the word, the word testimony literally, literally means do it again in that context in Revelation where it says that. So when you hear a testimony to something that Jesus has really done, God's literally saying, I'm, I'm, I'm here and available to do it again. Not because he's decided to, but because you've decided to put your faith in him. See, God gives testimonies. When, when Gabriel spoke to, to Mary and he said, the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you're now pregnant and you've conceived God in your womb. Before he was able to tell her that and for her to believe that, he gave her a testimony about her cousin Elizabeth who was called barren. Remember that woman? Your family, he says your relative. She was the one called barren, but now she's six months pregnant because God visited her. And then she said after that, after hearing that testimony, she said, be it unto me according to thy word. So you need to hear testimonies about the miracle power of God. So if you're here or listening to me on Facebook and you're struggling with some kind of lumps or something in your breath, be healed in Jesus' name. You reach up now by faith and appropriate that and say, God, you did it for that woman. I receive that from me right now. I feel the Lord real strong right here now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So you receive that right now. You say, I received mine. You know respect of person. The word of God tells me that. So these lumps and all that I'm concerned about, I receive thy healing. You healed her. What you've done once, you'll do again. I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen? And, 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 and so you need, you need to understand that God's given you the Holy Spirit. You walk around with it. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the fullness. Now, sometimes what has happened is preachers preach on it, and then we you know, call you down front and lay hands. What that does is activates your faith. Why, did, why, why all of a sudden then did I get filled and I started speaking to it wasn't because God withheld it he just decided in that moment to give it it's because your faith got awakened now they didn't explain it to us like that and if they did it would save a lot of people a lot of strain and struggle and you wouldn't be rationing over whether you're second class what have I done maybe why I didn't get it or this and that you know I have never maybe one time heard my wife speak you know, in, in the language of the spirit don't, don't let that stuff trip you up the Holy Spirit, as far as a prayer language, is that literally it's a prayer language. The Bible says that he who speaks in the tongue speaks not unto men but unto God, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But he who prophesies speaks unto men on behalf of God for the purpose of exhorting, comforting them, and encouraging them. Now, who in here does not need to be exhorted, encouraged, edified, built up, or comforted? Everybody needs that. And some of us need all three of them. If you don't need all three, you sure need at least one. And that's why the spirit of prophecy. And you, you know what the Bible says about prophecy? We can all prophesy. When the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy, he's not saying that God has withheld the gifts because you have the Holy Spirit who is the gifts of the Spirit. What gift do you need? The one that's needed in that moment. See, it's not that you walk around with a gift. There may be a gift that is used more often in your life. That don't mean you have the gift. It means that the giver of the gift, the gifter, has you. Do you understand that any of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit spoken of in 1 Corinthians 12 can flow through your life at any time? The word of faith, the word of wisdom. Don't feel like, God, oh, oh, you've been praying for the gifts. Well, here's one. Can't have no more now. That's all you get. That's crazy. That's religion does that. You as a spirit-filled, holy, spirit-filled vessel, every gift that the Holy Spirit has, you walk around with it. It's all in your account. It's in your account. It may not be manifested in your hand, but it's in your account.
You have it. You've been gifted. It's in, it's, it's in your account. Okay? Crawford, I'm going to do something real weird. Not weird. It's not weird. I shouldn't have said that way. Father, forgive me. Uh, here we go. Come, come, would you come up here? I wish Becky was with you, but uh, but I understand. Just a couple nights ago. Now, I just said to y'all out of 1 Corinthians 14, now, God uses this guy so much in prophecy. He, he you know, and most of it you'd never see. But he's one of my elders, one of God's elders. But, uh, Uh, and, and God uses him, and I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for Crawford and Becky Powell. Love you guys, Crawford. And uh, not only is an elder, he, I, I consider him a, a friend of me, and my wife, and we, we love him. We, and, and so we've hung out with him a little bit. We don't hang out that much. And sometimes even knowing him like I do would kind of hinder me from prophesying to you. But... Uh, a couple nights ago, it was so vivid that I do in my heart feel like it's the Lord. And I do feel like that I was supposed to, to do this publicly instead of just in, the, in my office after the church. <laughs> because I feel like that even if I prophesy over you, that it, it goes to others. I saw you and Becky come before the Lord. And I saw him reach and hand you this magazine. It's called Better Homes and Gardens. And I actually searched, and I felt like I actually found a magazine that, that I saw in my dream. Uh, there was a bunch of them to file through, so you appreciate my effort. But it says America's Best New Home. And I know you, and I've heard you say things, just in me and you cutting up in friendship and all that. Hell. But the key word that I want you to see of that, I saw you and Becky stand there as husband and wife, and I saw the Lord hand you the Better Homes and Garden magazine. Now, I've never been to your home where you live. I know my wife has, and I know the neighborhood you live in. It's a wonderful, beautiful home. My wife told me it's a beautiful home. And, 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 but God's got better for you. And, and that's the key word that I want you to leave here today, better. And it's better homes and garden. And garden to you symbolizes land. And you're not going to have to choose one or the other, but God said you're getting both. You're getting better home, and you're getting the garden that goes with it. And that, and that garden is land for you. I'm not saying you're going to plant tomatoes and turnip greens, but you know what it means. And I saw that so clear. And, I, I, and, I, and, and in my dream, I got to go into your home. Becky had it decorated so beautifully on the inside. She was so proud of it. She was showing us every little deal uh, in the home. And, uh, and, but I want you to know that, that, that God has better for you. There's better days for you business-wise. The better is still in front of you. It's not behind you. And I prophesy that over you and Becky. I declare it in, in Jesus' name. And I felt I'd be disobedient to the Lord if I didn't uh, declare that to you. And just better, I say better, better, better. For, for Crawford and Becky, I declare better home. I play the, 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 the land that's in his heart to have and to own and walk upon. Lord God, be released to this couple. Lord, I thank you for the better that's in their lives, the better in the business world and finances and commerce and all the things that you have that God just wants you to know, Crawford, God's got so much better for you. And don't get discouraged in this season and in this time that the better is gone and won't be no more. God says he's got better for both of you. Amen. And you receive that for you there. I want everybody to stand. And, uh, man, I felt that so strong in that dream. I woke up and, yes.
So I got a call. So with COVID and everything, I lost an account. It's about half my income. So I'm sitting here saying, all right, God, what are we going to do here? And then I got a call about a month ago, and a buddy of mine says, look, I, I, got, I got an offer on a piece of property, but I can't afford it. He goes, I, I can't make it happen, I don't think. And he said, are you interested in some land? I said, yeah, I might be. And uh, so it's, it's about 21 acres. Um, he and I are still kind of working through some stuff. Um, and it was, it was pretty hot for about three or four weeks, getting everything lined up. Y'all been through that when you buy a house and you're scrambling to get everything done. And, uh, and then I got a phone call and said, mm, I think we're going to do something else. You need to put, put the brakes on. I put the brakes on, told my wife. That went over real well, like a rat sandwich, as you say. <laughs> so uh, last week I got a call back. He said, all right, the brakes are off. We got to make this happen. So uh, in the midst of all of this, I'm saying, God, I've been wanting land for so long. And in the midst of economically everything that's going on, you're opening up this door and opportunity. So amen. 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 And, and I, I, I know none of that. We haven't talked. I know none of that. That's all news to me. I, I know absolutely none of that. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Amen. Give God praise for that. I had no idea. See, it's a word of prophecy. He has the paragraph. I just have one word to add to it. And God's just encouraging him like God does. He's a good daddy. I had no clue about any of that. I had no idea. Uh, man. That blows me away. That, that encourages me and blesses me uh, that God's up to just awesome. Listen, don't let this, this going on. Man, our heart breaks for what's going on in the world. And, and I, I know you're still doing as we all do. We're praying that this shall come to pass, this virus and all this that's going on. And, and you know, I mean, uh, you know, it's no joke. I mean, we've had so many of, you know, folks that I've known personally now that, that's, you know, that struggled with it. But, but, but God's greater than this. God's bigger than this. And, uh, and so if, if you're sitting out there, you listen to this, and, and you've been, you know, like, okay, well, I got to put everything, like he said, on hold. or break. Listen, God don't, God's not going through a virus. God's not going through a recession. And you have to really, you know, you've you got to decide what's right for you, but as for me and my house, man, I got to... I, I live off a microcosm of news. I mean, I just because I can't take it because it is so opposite of what God is saying in my spirit and to me. God's always a God of better. He's always a God of better. Amen. You believe that? So thank you for, for being here today. Uh, thank you, Father, for what you're doing uh, in our lives and in the lives of your people here. Thank you for this nation. And we pray, God, we rebuke this COVID-19 as an enemy of the kingdom of God and your people. And we declare what you've already declared. And we come in confession and agreement. By his stripes, you were healed. In Jesus' name. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.